Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. Here are your hosts, John from Global Recon and Mike from Fieldcraft LLC, giving you the matter of facts. Globalrecon.net, fieldcraftsurvival.com. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm on with Mike Glover of Fieldcraft. This episode, we are going to get into, we want to do a lot in the realm of veterans transition, post-traumatic stress, uh, wounded veterans, and, and we'll talk some about the VA as well. So today we have the pleasure of having on Jared Bullock, a former Special Forces soldier who was wounded in combat, and Jared will be on in a minute. So we're going to use this opportunity to just intro that entire realm for you guys. And the the reason we haven't put out anything so far is we want to do it the right way and we want to get some science behind uh, what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to get that out very soon. And I'm going to hand over to Mike now. Hey, guys, it's Mike from Philcraft. Uh, good to be back on the next episode. Appreciate all the support from the last episode that we had with Travis uh, and, and Motor Working Dogs. Uh, transitioning into the topic today, it's one of the most important topics that we talk about that me and John originally started this whole podcast for, and that was to help veterans um, transition and, and, and first responders transition from you know a, a career and mindset and training methodology that they've gone through and routine they've gone through their entire lives and then going back into reintegration into civilian life. And not only in, you know, the, the, the warriors who, who fought in the military, but in the first responders and their transition in mental health, dealing with post-traumatic stress, but also dealing with uh, veteran affairs and wounded warrior um, transitions. And, and just we didn't what, what we want to do is, that, you know, Global Recon wants to do is develop a strategy for addressing these issues. The system is broken, and there's no doubt that there is holes in the government system that exist. The problem that we're seeing is uh, there's a lot of nonprofits that are private organizations uh, like Wounded Warrior and all these things, all these organizations that are doing good things, but they don't do it to the scale and surgical precision that me, John, uh, two from Rona Tactics, that we're looking at. And whether that's us developing a strategy, um, together through through this process, um, I, I told John and John's on the same sheet of music. I'd rather do it myself than hand off, um, you know, a donation of fifty thousand dollars to, you know, a corporate jet or a dude who's going to drive an H two Hummer pulled up in his parking lot in his skyscraper when he's talking about uh, managing a nonprofit. So we're going to do it the right way, and the right way is establishing the foundation, the baseline through awareness, and then. Uh, evolving from there and 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 we think you know by you know through time through processes we'll, we'll get to a point into which we're developing something that's um, as a community that we develop together um, today we have uh, the great pleasure and privilege of having Sergeant First Class Jared Bullock a retired Green Beret from 7th Special Forces Group who was injured in Afghanistan um, in a in a severe um IED that actually killed some killed a teammate of his and severely injured another one. Um, Jared, are you on the line? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, Jared. Yeah, no problem, man. I, we we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to talk to us because one one of the things that we don't get a lot of, and and I think it's just society wide is hearing from the people who are actually involved, who have the strength and courage and tenacity to actually um, articulate kind of the mindset and what they went through in their experience, so others can learn from it. And I know you know, me following Jared on social media, on his Instagram, seeing the kind of warrior he is, knowing he's a fellow Green Beret, um, is a whole new book that people haven't been exposed to that are going to help out people a lot. So we appreciate having you on. Um, I I, I think the first thing we need to do is talk about, you know, your past and, and how you got to be a Green Beret. Can you tell, can you tell us, you know, kind of from the start, from the beginning, how did you go into Special Forces and what made you want to be a Green Beret? Um, so for me, it all started, uh, I graduated high school and, uh, you know, I, I went to college and I went, I went to college to be a teacher, you know, because that's what I wanted to do. But I just wasn't feeling it at the time. And uh, I have a twin and, you know, he's like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about joining and I was like, you know what? I was like, it sounds like a good idea. Uh, we, you know, we came from a small town and not a lot of people, you know, they don't leave small towns. You know, they want to stay there and, and marry everybody they went to school with. And I was like, let's do it. And, you know, so we both went in, uh, you know, did the 11 Bravo route. Uh, I was in third ID uh, for six years, you know, just, you know, getting that experience under my belt, you know, going. Hey, Jared, can you yeah. explain what the third ID is uh, for people who won't know, like non-military? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, third ID, uh, was at, uh, Fort Benning. It's basically just a mechanized unit. Uh, you know, we consisted, we had tanks, we had Bradleys. Um, and I was, uh, basically a dismount. So I would ride in the back of the Bradley, you know, after they got done shooting everything up and then clean up the mess. Um, so, you know, I did that for six years. Uh, and then, you know, I just, when you get that point in your career, you're like, you know, I want to do something more. I want to make a bigger difference. And, you know, SF was the next step. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I, I went and talked to the recruiter, uh, as soon as I got back to my second deployment from Iraq, you know, and, and talked it over with the wife, you know, to make sure everything was kosher with her. Cause you know how that works. And, uh, you know, just started training for it and, you know, went to selection, uh, in 2008 passed and then, you know, started that journey, uh, in the Q course and then graduated and greatest decision I could have ever made. Hey, Jared, what was your, uh, your MOS in special forces? Uh, I was an 18 echo, which was communications. Awesome. Awesome. So your, your first assignment. So, you know, people are not familiar with it. The first part I like you talked about, about that you mentioned, uh, that a lot of people don't talk about is you, you, uh, talk to the wife first to make sure everything was kosher to make sure everything was good. Uh, and that's a key, key component to a, uh, you know, a healthy relationship for guys who are, who are wanting to join it. I'm glad you brought that up, but then you went, so you went to SFAS, you went to, uh, you went to the Q course, you went through the special forces communications course, and then you were assigned to seventh special forces group. And at the time, I think you were at Bragg probably, and then you moved to Florida, right? Or were they already in Florida at the time? Uh, no, we were still at Bragg. We didn't. We okay. moved down to uh, Eglin Air Force Base in 2011. 
in 2011. Did you get to choose your MOS? Is that what you wanted to do? Um, when I got uh, after selection, you know, they were like, hey, like, what do you want to do as far as MOS or language? And uh, I initially wanted to be an 18 Bravo. Um, and then my second choice is to be a Charlie, an engineer. But they're like, hey, your GT score is too high. It's either you got to be a Delta or an Echo. And I, I really didn't want to stay in the Q course for another extra year. So I chose Echo. And so my, my D lab was freaking horrible. So they're like, yeah, you're getting Spanish. So, <laughs> so yeah, I I'm glad I really wanted so it didn't matter. That's pretty cool. I, I'm glad I'm dumb. Cause that I wanted to be an 18 Bravo. So it worked out for me. <laughs> so you, you got, you got through training and get assigned to seven special forces group. And then, uh, subsequently you went to uh combat rotations did you have a combat rotation before the 2013 rotation um not in sf i had two prior ones uh to iraq uh when i was just conventional army uh to ramadi and then in baghdad um prior to the the combat rotation with sf i did two rotations in south Kong with seventh group okay yeah and for people who don't um understand how special forces groups work uh, there's five groups that are aligned regionally with their areas of operation which are regionally aligned with theaters of operation and seventh special forces group is aligned with southcom correct yes which is all of Latin america. south america Latin- yep. yeah okay and then the main languages obviously are spanish is there another language besides spanish um Primarily, it's just Spanish, but we'll have dudes that are fluent in Portuguese. Okay, for Brazil and everything else. Okay, mm-hmm. so you got to where you, you got to where you're on a team and you're an 18 Echo. You you think you were living the dream? Did it feel like you were living the dream when you're on the teams? Uh, yeah. I mean, when I graduated, you know, it was that was my goal was to be a Green Beret, and I wanted to keep doing more. Um, my first experience on the team was I got there and my senior, which is the guy that's uh, supposed to teach you and, and basically mentor you and help you grow. I got there and he said, Hey man, I'm leaving. I'm going to the SIF company. And he said, by the <laughs> way, you guys are going to South America and half the stuff that you learn in the course, as far as what your, your occupation is, is just a quarter of the equipment that you have. And so it was pretty, my first deployment was, I became a senior automatically on the team and my team, I think the youngest guy had been there for at least five years. So there was a lot of headbutts and then at least one fist fight with one of the 18 deltas cause he wanted internet. <laughs> so, so yeah, for, for people who don't understand team life, I mean, there's like, like, just like you said, showing up as an 18 echo brand new. Sometimes you show up and you don't have a senior and you don't have, a guy who's going to mentor you and you just kind of, you got you got to hit the ground running and, and that's what pretty much you were just thrown into. Right. Yeah. So, and you know what, I, I, I actually appreciate that because it allowed me to, you know, mature a lot faster. You know, I had to get out and resource, I, you know, I had to get out and, and, and attend more like classes or workshops or, or be in the Essex shop. I worked a lot more hours than everybody else, but you know, it paid off because I ended up being a senior by myself for a year and a half till I got a junior. So it really allowed me to focus on all areas of my job and be able to do everything to the T. That's awesome. 
for people who don't um, for people who don't know, uh, you know, SF teams have two uh, personnel assigned per MOS per job specialty. So there'll be two weapons guys, two Charlies who are the engineers, two Deltas who are the medics, and two Echoes who are the combo guys. But um, you, you're set up basically in you know in order of of merit uh, based on your time on a team your, or your team time. So that you have a senior and then you have a junior, and uh, you know a, a junior could show up with a lot more experience and you know being an 18 Bravo come, coming from Ranger Regiment or whatever, but he would immediately fall in despite the rank, fall in as a junior because the guy in, uh, above him would have more special operations or more special forces team time. When you when you did your rotation to Afghanistan. Um, what kind of what was your mission set? I mean, without going into too many operational details, but were you guys prepared for for the for the trip? Did you guys have a good train up prior? Yeah, it, everything went pretty good. Uh, we had a pretty good rotation uh, for PMT. You know, SOPs, everything was down. Um, we had really great, really good eighteen deltas, especially. I mean, they were huge on hammer and cross training. You know, in the medic field. Um, you know, everybody was good about passing on knowledge. Of course, nobody ever wants to, to learn about radios for some reason. It's so awesome. <laughs> you know, and everything was good, man. You know, we had all our SOPs down. Um, and I think that's what, you know, when I got injured, what really led to, uh, you know, me still being here. So, yeah, that's a, a critical portion of, of what you're saying is, you know, that – people don't know is that you cross train and you know, you're like the Jack of all trades, right? You learn everybody's job and that, you know, eventually led on probably to the, uh, the extent in which it, it probably saved your life. Um, talking about that and just bringing that up. Can you, can you bring us to the day, um, that you're injured? Cause to this point, there's, there's listeners out there that I don't even know about the situation, about what happened with you. Um, can you tell us about the day that you were, you were injured? Yeah, so we were going, uh, you know, we were trying to push uh, checkpoints with the uh, Afghan army further west out in Panjaway. And, uh, you know, we were slowly making our way west, you know, as time progressed. And we'd only been country about a month. <clears throat> and one of the villages we were going into, uh, you know, it was pretty hard to navigate the trucks in. So, you know, during the mission planning, we talked about, hey, we'll take some side-by-sides out. A to have, you know, that extra firepower for overwhel- overwhel- excuse me, overwhelming force and then as well as Kazabak vehicles. Uh, you know, so we get out on the ground, you know, unload the side-by-sides. You know, patrol's going smooth, you know, everything's good. And we're running uh, down along a compound wall and there's a, uh, a water ditch, irrigation ditch to the right. And... I'm like, man, day's almost over. You know, I can see the trucks 400 meters away. And, uh, you know, we had EOD. uh, We had our Afghan counterparts out front uh, ahead of us in our side-by-side. And then the next thing I know is I'm waking up in San Antonio. Um, So so from that point in which you got hit, you you didn't even – you weren't even conscious until – you woke up in San Antonio. Um, yeah, as far as I remember, um, my Delta said, I said a couple words. Um, I guess what happened was we hit a pressure plate 
that completely, basically, all that remained of the side-by-side was the frame. Um, I was jettisoned about 30 feet out into a ditch. Uh, basically, my, my right hand uh, was pretty much gone. Uh, and my right leg from like mid chin was 90 degrees to the right. Uh, the 18 Bravo in the passenger seat, he was severed from the, from the waist. Uh, he was missing part of his arm and pretty much most of his face. And then the, uh, 18 Bravo that was on the back, meaning the Mark 44, the minigun, uh, he flew 30 feet back into the 18, the side by side behind us. Uh, and he punctured his skull on the 240. Um, so our medics were pretty quick about, you know, tourniquets, you know, whatever other aid was needed, uh, administering, you know, ketamine. Um, and I know our 18 Deltas kept the 18 Bravo that was uh, severed in half. They kept him alive till he got on the flight, which was 15 minutes later. Wow. So, okay, so you get hit with a pressure plate IED. And what was the time? difference between the actual time that you got hit and the time that you woke up in San Antonio, how long have you, had you been basically unconscious or, or out of consciousness? Uh, probably about three weeks. Wow. Wow. So they, they probably induced coma and, and, and put you in a, a comatose state or, yeah. or were you just, or are you just completely out? Yeah, it was pretty, pretty comatose. I mean, I have some memories, but it's all pretty foggy because um, basically I would have been a below knee and a below elbow, but due to the fungus from the debris that got into the wounds, they had to keep uh, amputating. Um, and I had also broke my L1 through L4, my jaw, um, my left leg was almost like completely severed to the bone below the knee, um, broke my hip broke part of my humerus on my right arm. Uh, my pelvis was fractured. Uh, uh, I got some debris in my eye and then uh, I broke my left metacarpal. So some, so you obviously, I mean, that's some severe injuries and, and if it wasn't for the 18 deltas, do you think you'd still be here? Is it because of the, their training because of their, uh, their skills that saved your life? Oh, Definitely. Oh yeah, without a doubt, man. I own everything. Hey, so I just wanted to ask. <clears throat> this is something um, you said that the 18 Deltas kept your Bravo alive <clears throat> until he got on a flight. Was that a medevac helicopter? Yeah, from the time of impact to the time the choppers came, they had everybody uh, best situated as they could within 15 minutes. So pretty much, just kind of getting into how that works, just a little bit. Uh, when, when there's an injury or someone gets wounded, a call goes back to the base, and then the base will send out uh, a special medical helicopter to, as quickly as possible, get the casualties to a hospital. Yes. Okay, and 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 they call that is that called the golden hour? Like the, you, like they say they try and get the casualties to the hospital within an hour of the 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 call. Is that how it works? Uh, I think we were calling it the golden circle. It, it was about like 15, 20 minutes. That would be your best bet. Yeah. That's, I, I've never heard that fit like, and I don't know if you'd be surprised by it, Jared, but 15 minutes is fast, right? I mean, I've never heard of a medevac platform getting anywhere 
in Afghanistan that quick. So did you guys have it pre-staged or was the base within the vicinity? I mean, was that pre-coordinated or something? Um, well, I mean, our initial comp- our compound was probably about a 35-minute drive uh, from CAF. So we were probably about another 20 minutes from our compound west. So they were pretty good. I mean, we were just, like we said, our SOPs were down. So it was pretty good about relaying. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure we can obviously talk about, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like LTTs, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we were pretty proficient with that. So that kind of definitely helped out. So it was pretty much they said as, as far as what I heard was uh, from the team, they set a record from time of impact till the time the birds landed. Wow. Hey, so tell us about tell us about the 18 Bravo you lost, man. Tell us about uh, his what kind of guy he was and, and uh, what kind of teammate he was. So I was the first new guy to the team in a while. Uh, and then I was going through a pre-jump and my 18 Delta was going through, his name's Ryan, was going through Jumpmaster course. And this kid comes up and he's like, hey, I'm rich. And they're like, oh, hey, he's on the team. And I'm like, all right, sweet. So it was just me and him were the two new guys. And so from right then, we just became best friends. You know, we'd always be at each other's house, working out, you know, just bonding. Super great Bravo. He'd give you the shirt off his back, man. He'd even, he'd come babysit my kid so me and the wife could just go out and have a good time. You know, he was just that kind of dude. And then the the other Bravo who uh, had severe head trauma, he, now you said he flew off the back of the vehicle and then he hit the 240 Bravo on the other ATV? Yeah, and it, it punctured through his uh, helmet and basically uh, ruptured the, the right side of his skull. And apparently they said he was pretty much still good. He was pretty much fighting everybody off. Um, but then finally, once he got on the bird, everything kind of kicked in. And uh, he's retired now. Um, he can't really move the uh, left side of his body too well. Um, and he has some some problems doing speech. But... He's with his wife, and they're running a, a little breakfast bed and stay, and, you know, living life, man. Yeah, that's all you could ask for, man, after the things that you guys have been through, man. Um, let's let's talk about afterwards, man. Uh, you know, you guys, you guys are, you know, in combat, in war, something like this happens, and it's, and it's a catastrophe, and, it, and uh, you wake up, and you're in San Antonio, um, what's rehabilitation look like? How, how long did it take you to re- rehabilitate and get back to where, where you were, um, functional, you know, where you're, where you're up and moving did that I'm, I'm assuming years. Um, for me, uh, I, I still had to stay in the hospital for about a month. Um, till we, we got an apartment, uh, cause my wife, my wife and my brother went to Germany, uh, and escorted me back to the States. Um, you know, I spent a month in the hospital and then pretty much therapy started there, you know, to make sure that, you know, you're laying in bed all day, you're getting stretched out to kind of, you know, at least rebuild your core strength, you know, cause I, uh, you know, I was on a trach, I was being too fed for a while until I could eat solid foods. Um, but, but once rehab started, I had this old, old man named Fred, he was a retired colonel, physical therapist, salty dude, man, salty. <laughs> But he was awesome. 
And, you know, I'd go in there and, and for me, man, like when I woke up and just, you know, I realized everything was gone, you know, I had, I had a couple of bad days, uh, in the hospital, but after that, man, I was just like, you know what? It is what it is. You know, you can't change anything. All you can do is keep going. So I went to, I went to that rehab with mindset and, you know, I made a goal that I would run a race within a year of my injury. And so every day I would go into rehab and I would stay for two or three, three hours uh, from seven in the morning until 10 and just as much as I could, like work on my knee flexion on my left leg, you know, work on strengthening. Um, I had a couple setbacks. I had some HA, which is heterotopic ossification. Basically, when you get like super trauma, what happens is your body tries to regrow. And so basically I formed bone uh, in my amputated limbs. So basically it created like a tree root system. So I had to get that surgically removed again in May. Um, but after that, they're like, Hey, you're good to go. Like I got a leg started walking. And then I made, uh, a promise with some buddies that I run a tough mutter in West Virginia, uh, that following September. And so two months later I got a running leg and I won't call it running. It was more like an airborne shuffle slash yog. That's what I like to call it. <laughs> and so my wife would go out to the track with me while my kid was in a pre-K in Texas. And uh, I would just go out there and set a goal of five miles, no matter how long it took, whether I'd have to walk. And she would just sit there with me and I'd jog and walk. And then within 10 months, man, I ran a 12-mile race That's in the mountains of West Virginia. And I haven't stopped. I ran like 12. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so Jared, um, so now, so a couple of months ago, you, you wrote an article for my website and I'll, I'll post that article in the, in the podcast notes, which I put up on the, on my, on my website after every episode. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, and we spoke before you wrote and you were talking about, I asked you like what your goals were with your social media and because you post a lot of like workout stuff and and motivational stuff. And I, I'm assuming that this really helps out other wounded veterans who are, are struggling and, and, and they need some help. So, so what were your goals specifically when you decided to make a social media account and, and kind of post what your daily activities? Um, especially, uh, being an upper limb amputee, uh, above elbow. Um, you know, a lot of guys when I, at rehab, as far as therapists and everything, you know, it'd always be focusing like on my good side, you know, but I'm like, what about, the, what about my other side? You know, like I don't, I, I don't want to have imbalances, you know, and I went to uh, athlete performance down here and they're like, Oh, they, they've dealt with amputees. And, you know, I went there and, and I had to show them things. And a lot of this stuff has just been trial and error. And so if I can take everything that I've learned, you know, to stay symmetrical as possible and not create any future issues, you know, my body by having any, you know, atrophied muscles, if that can help somebody, then I'm all about it. You know, I go in the summertime, uh, this is my second year coming up to volunteer at a kid's amputee camp, uh, you know, to help them in sports. Nice. You know, that's what I do. I take, I take that knowledge and I pass it on to them. Um, and yeah, I do get a lot of veterans that write and tell them, you know, like, Hey, I've just, you know, I'm busted up, but like seeing what you're doing, you know, it wants me to get back in the gym and that's all I can really ask for, you know, and that's all, that's all I really wanted it to be. 
is just showing people that, you know, no matter what happens, man, you can still do whatever you want. Things may be a little different, but in the end, you're still going to get it done. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And Mike talks a lot about mindset and he teaches uh, a lot of mindset uh, things and, and kind of how you should think about certain situations and then, you know, that just that mentality to continue on and to keep going and to not uh, cave in, you know, and just to and to be strong enough to where you can talk about it and then strong enough to where you can help and, and kind of lead the way and show other wounded vets that, you know, it, it's possible to continue on and, and this is how you do it, you know. So I think that's pretty cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, Jared, I I, uh, I think it's awesome because, you know, people's, you know, you have a warrior mindset and, and, and civilian civilian life and society are, are not accustomed to warrior mindsets application to any kind of, you know, psychological therapeutic routines and methodology. So when it's, you hear this, you know, I've been hearing the same stories over and over again, like talking to Kent, Kent Solheim, who's a a good buddy of mine who Mm -hmm. had a similar experience where he lost his leg after he was shot four times in Iraq on our rotation. And, but just the drive that you guys have is a drive that pulls. I would say it pulls. It doesn't push. It pulls all these other men and women who otherwise wouldn't get off their ass or otherwise otherwise wouldn't see a different perception of, of uh, or a different technique of doing something. So the way that you, you're doing what you're doing is, and imparting that knowledge and wisdom and experience through what is basically your warrior mindset is, is, is huge and, and, and telling. And I think that's like kind of like the social norm that we need to drive, you know, the whole, the whole thought behind, you know, whether it's a green beret, a Marsoc guy, or just a strong willed personality to drive uh, the culture into a different direction, you know, instead of, you know, like you said, you had that, uh, those bad days where, you know, you felt like a victim, you, you, you felt bad for yourself and, and then you pulled yourself out of it because of your mindset and decided that you were going to commit to a goal and an objective and, and it turned out for the best. And, and now you're imparting and, and influencing other people's lives in a positive way, man. And that's, that's a huge kudos, kudos to you, to your family, to your network and, and to everything that you've done for our country and that you're continuing to do minus limbs you know and 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 you're still doing it man so that makes you proud to even just call you know a a brother in arms and and a special forces uh a veteran man thank you i think like especially to hit on what you're talking about i think in society i think people you know especially veterans that are injured i think people have written them off for too long you know it's like oh that he's injured or he or she's injured you know like they're pretty much not going to do anything anymore, you know, and I think if we can change that mindset, like you're saying, you know, and, and let that transfer over, especially to, you know, civilians, I think it'll, the impact will be a lot greater and people will start to, to value people more and things will, things will change. Yeah. And I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with the, you know, the power of social media, it's, you know, it's all possible, man. And, 
And just like from from the videos that you post, you know, like you're you're posting videos, you know, hitting some squats or you know whatever workout you're doing, and it's it's just really inspirational. And you know, I'm not wounded. I, I was never wounded, but when I watch it, I get inspired. You know, and I've shared some of your stuff before, and and all of the comments that people are leaving are like, you know, wow, I, I need to get back in the gym, or you know, I have no excuse. And I think that's an example of what, what you're talking about. Yeah, I get some good ones sometimes. I get some doozies on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, so uh, closing it out, Jared, let's talk about, uh, let's AAR this, man. What's what's some good things that VA did and what's some bad things they did and what's some things they could do to improve? Um, so, you know, I just retired this past September um, and I've just had some initial dealings with the VA. Um, you know, so far, you know, my doctor's been pretty good. Um, you know, I think a lot of the problems, if they're, you know, that do arise in the VA, um, cause I'm not going to lie, man, you know, when I go in there to, to do appointments, you know, I can tell who's in there, you know, they may have underlying conditions that I can't see. So, you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but I think they are, the VA is, is overwhelmed. You know, there are dudes or, you know, people in general that do claim stuff that, doesn't really exist, you know, to, to whatever, reap the benefits, if you will. And, uh, you know, I think that bogs down the system, but two, I think a lot of people in the military get set on this, you know, especially when you're a young private and you're, and you're growing up, you know, it's always being told what to do, where to be, you know, what you're eating. And I think people carry that mindset with them. You know, for example, uh, I had an appointment, a consult put in, you know, to get a scan done, and, uh, you know, for like a general surgery thing, well, the general surgeon called and made the appointment, but I hadn't heard anything for the scan. So, you know, that's what the surgery is based on. So, you know, I took the initiative, you know, I called my doctor and I'm like, Hey, I haven't heard anything. And they're like, Oh, let me give you the number. So I call, you know, and if I hadn't called, they're like, Oh, Hey, we don't do it here. It's gotta be done outpatient. You know, that the VA will pay for it at a civilian place, you know? And I think that's, where some of the, you know, the miscommunication gets dudes are reliant too much on stuff being done for them as opposed to doing it for themselves. Like, Hey man, yeah, you're going to be taken care of, but nobody's here to hold your hand at the same time. So it's, it's an adult world now. You know what I mean? Like I don't get everything free anymore. I got to pay, I got to pay for healthcare for my wife and my son, you know, I don't get paid BAH or anything like that anymore. So you gotta, you gotta grow up real fast if you didn't, and you gotta really step up. Um, I do think there are some issues, you know, they could be better about communication on certain things, you know, but hey, it's a live and let learn type of thing. Absolutely, man. It's a, it's a government system, typically temporary, like most things are in the government and it's, it's hard to sustain. But um, interesting perspective, man, and I appreciate you sharing your story with us. We don't get the opportunity a lot to to talk to wounded warriors, especially Green Berets, who've experienced what you've experienced. And, you know, this is a short episode, but we, we hope to have you back and have you on and, and, and look at what the future looks like for you. And I, I know you mentioned um, offline that, that you had plans and, you're, and that you're moving forward. What does the future look like for you uh, in the next couple of years, man? Do you have any plans, major plans? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to move, we're going to move back home. Uh, the wife's a nurse, so she's going to continue to do her nursing thing. Uh, you know, I'm going to take the kid back to where we're from. Uh, cause I grew up on a farm and just kind of get him out in that, that lifestyle and, you know, kind of get away from the city and probably going to go back to college and get a degree and just, just, you know what I mean? Just say I accomplished something and a little bit more just to make my life a little bit more meaningful. Hell yeah, man. This is just, this is phase one of a big journey for you, man. I'm proud of you and I appreciate having you on and I'll pass it off. So Jared, can you drop your social media handle or any point of contact for anyone who's listening, who wants to reach out to you if they have any questions? Yeah, man. Uh, if you guys want to look me up, you can look me up on Facebook or Instagram. It's just Jared underscore Bullock. And then if you want to shoot me an email, it's red 1882 at Gmail. Uh, how, how, how do you spell the Bullock? Uh, Bullock is B-U-L-L-O-C-K after Sandra Bullock, my first wife. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, cool, man. So we're going to wrap up this episode. And like I said earlier, we're going to continue to get into this realm of post-traumatic stress, of the transition for veterans, of wounded veterans and things like that. And topics that are very important to us. So this was just like a the, the first uh, look into that. And hopefully we can have Jared on in the future and, and we'll talk about some of these issues. So you can you can find Mike on his website at fieldcraftsurvival.com. His Facebook is Fieldcraft LLC and his Instagram is Soft Survivor. And Mike, you just made a Twitter account, right? Yeah, it's uh, my Twitter account is IG uh, India Golf soft survivor it's ig soft survivor and uh I, i'm new to the tweet things like i i, I kind of tweet um and i'm trying to figure it out but i, I tweet a couple times a day so if you guys want to follow me um feel free to hit me up on that nice so my my website is globalrecon.net my facebook is fb recon and my instagram is ig recon i also have a twitter account i don't really use it much but i, I should get better at that so my twitter is ig recon uh, just like my Instagram. And if you have any questions on anything you heard on this show or if you have any suggestions or anything like that, send an email to podcast at globalrecon.net and either myself or Mike will respond to you on that email. And and you can also reach out to us on any of the social media handles that, that were mentioned. So we're going to see you guys in a couple of days with a, another exciting episode. Peace. Peace.